0: So we are going to do things a little bit differently today. We're going to begin our time in the Word. Then we're going to transition again to a time of prayer. And then after that, we'll respond in worship through singing. So let's dive right into Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 5 to 16 today in our time in the Word. As we saw last week in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, a transition is underway. Jesus has begun the process of entrusting his ministry to his disciples. And specifically, he's called out 12 apostles, that's what Matthew names them, sent ones to lead in this multiplication strategy. He's going to uniquely empower them to lead the way in extending the reach of his ministry. We met them last week in verses uh, 2 to 4. You may remember these names. Simon, who's called Peter, that's in verse two. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Of course, the one who's writing this gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, the one who would later betray Jesus. And what we see in our passage today is the beginning of Jesus sending out these 12 as he sets the stage for how he's going to multiply the ministry so that it moves beyond Galilee, throughout Israel, and to the ends of the earth. He tells these apostles, guys, you have a unique and special job to do, and I'm gonna give you the authority to be able to do it. And then through you, the the reach of the gospel and the reach of the kingdom is going to expand in such a way that the world will never be the same. And he, he sends out these apostles to prove that he's entrusted the authority to them so that they can do what Jesus has done, experience what they have seen Jesus do themselves, and rest in the power and provision that Jesus has promised that he has given to them. You see, Jesus is a master teacher, and he teaches us how to teach others, how to disciple others and prepare them for the multiplication of ministry that God designs for us. There's no greater teacher, there's no greater disciple maker in the history of the world than Jesus Christ. And he gives us the path of discipleship right here in Matthew chapter 10. He's he's brought these men near to him. He's called them. And he's allowed them to walk with him and see and experience the incredible ministry that he's been doing, that we've been reading about to this point in the Gospel of Matthew. They've been overwhelmed by the displays of kingdom authority that Jesus has shown. And now he is sending them out here to do what he has done and then to come back to him so that he can continue to disciple and build them up for the day when he will inevitably leave them. Now, in our specific passage today in verses 5 to 15 of Matthew chapter 10, we see the instructions that Jesus gives to these apostles as he sends them out. And in the instructions, Jesus is teaching us and teaching them about the nature of the ministry that he is entrusting to them. They've seen it. And now he wants to teach them some very specific realities about this ministry so that they can be prepared for it as they go. They know the the content of this ministry because they've they've seen it. They're going to go and they're going to cast out unclean spirits according to chapter 10, verse 1. They're going to heal every disease and every affliction. They're going to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll see that later in verse 7. They're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. All of these things that they've seen Jesus do. They know that's going to be the content of their ministry. But there's a reality to this ministry that they need to be aware of in order to be successful. In order to multiply it in a way that is in accordance with God's design and bring him the ultimate glory. And here are these three realities of the ministry in the kingdom that we'll see unfold in the instructions that Jesus gives. That that the apostles need to be aware of and that we need to be aware of as his disciples today. Firstly, the ministry of the kingdom is redemptively strategic. Secondly, the ministry of the kingdom is purposefully challenging. And thirdly, the ministry of the kingdom is unfortunately resistant. So Jesus sends them out to to do these works that they've seen him do, but also to learn these lessons, to learn about these realities to strengthen their effectiveness in the ministry that he is calling them to. And ultimately, he's trying to teach them to fully rely upon the Lord for this work. Otherwise, they won't be able to do what God has called them to do. Here's our main point this morning. As we walk through Matthew chapter 10, at least the first part, we need God's power and provision to push forward his redemptive plan. We need God's power and provision to push forward his redemptive plan. And God has designed the ministry that he has called us to, to make us aware of our need for him. He's He's pushing us beyond ourselves. He's pushing us to... Our limits to be able to recognize, hey, listen, this is more than I can do on our own. Even collectively as a church or a collection of churches, this is more than we can do on our own. We need God to show up in his plan and give us his power and give us his provision if we're going to be able to to finish the work that God has called us to, to do the ministry that he is seeking to multiply through us. So let's see this morning how Jesus teaches his disciples this truth in our passage. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 16. Here's what the word of God says. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborers deserve his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or you leave that town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents. And innocent as doves. Again, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he wants them to know just not the the nature of the work, the content of the work, what they've been seeing Jesus do, but the reality of this ministry so they can be prepared and be successful as he prepares the way for this multiplication work to extend to the ends of the earth. Again, the three realities he wants them to be aware of. This ministry is redemptively strategic, it's purposefully challenging, and it's unfortunately resisted. So let's look at each one of these three realities in the work of the kingdom and why it's important for us to be aware of it in order to be successful in the ministry that God is extending to us through the apostles. Reality number one, This ministry is redemptively strategic. Look with me again at verses five through the first part of verse eight. The 12, Jesus sent out. And listen to these instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you're gonna proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're gonna heal the sick there, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out Demons. Now, as Jesus sends out his apostles, he sends them to a very specific region. He limits their ministry at this point to the region of Galilee. And he also says, as you go about that ministry in Galilee, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to Gentiles right now and don't go to Samaritans. And the question is why? Why would Jesus restrict the ministry of the apostles at this point? It's not a throwaway line. There's intentionality here in Jesus' words. But it does beg the question, isn't this counter to the the great commission that Matthew ends his gospel with, where he says, go to the ends of the earth, isn't in some way counter to, to Christ's own ministry? Since on occasion he did minister to Gentiles and to Samaritans. We saw earlier in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13, Jesus ministering to Gentiles. And of course, we all know the story from John chapter 4, where Jesus ministers to the Samaritan woman. Well, the only way this instruction makes sense is to situate it within God's larger redemptive work. Remember, God has been unfolding his redemptive plan in a very specific way. It's redemptively strategic. Here's how Don Carson, a famous New Testament scholar, speaks about the specific work of Christ at this moment, Matthew chapter 10, and the course of redemptive history. Jesus stands at the nexus or the the cross point in salvation history, whereas a Jew And the son of David, he came in fulfillment of his people's history as their king and their redeemer. God has been unfolding to this point his redemptive plan through a people, the people of Israel, in alignment with a covenant that he made with a guy named Abraham earlier in Genesis. So let's just walk this through the Old Testament to get us to Matthew chapter 10. God spoke to Abraham and he made a covenant. He promised that Abraham's descendants would be the people of God and that through them, he would bless them and then through them, he would also bless the nations. So God would walk uniquely with this people, the people that would later become Israel. He would bless them. He would give them favor in the hopes that they would be salt and light to the world. That They would be a, a beacon of the glory and the greatness of God. And they would draw these pagan nations to true worship of the one true God of Israel. So the plan, redemptively, was always to go through Israel, not around Israel. To start with the people and then through that people reach all peoples. And Christ's earthly work when he comes in the incarnation and then consequently the apostles was always meant to continue that plan. Jesus is born into the people of Israel to save them and to fulfill God's promises to them. To show that he's been faithful to them to send the Messiah that he promised them he would. And he's working now for your deliverance, the deliverance that you have been longing for. God is actively working for, and I am the evidence, Jesus says. And the hope, of course, ideally, was to bring them to a place of repentance and worship of the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this gospel was always meant to to go forth in this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek or the Gentile. But now what we also learn, unfortunately, is that not all Israel is Israel. Paul writes that later in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Not everyone is a part of the ethnic people of Israel is part of the redemptive people of God. And that's why, unfortunately, a a large majority of Israel reject their Messiah. And that sets the stage for the work that God will do through his new people, the church, and God's redemptive historical plan. But it was Jesus' practice in his earthly ministry and the practice of the apostles, including Paul, by the way, to begin with the Jewish people because of God's covenant with them. Now, I suppose there's also a practical reason. They're still in training. These apostles still have their training wheels on, so they can't go too far before they need to return to process through what they've done and for Jesus to coach them up once again. But the major reason that Jesus limits them at this point is theological Redemptive historical in nature. And later, as their ministry goes forward, Christ will expand that calling to the ends of the earth. Now, what I love about Christ's approach here, what he's he's teaching us about the nature of ministry, is the organizational strategy of God's mission. God does not allow things to happen by accident. Everything is according to his sovereign design. There is a plan. There is a plan. And it's been unfolding throughout the history of the world. We can see the plan on display in our Bibles. God has a plan to save us, to reconcile us in Christ to himself and the entirety of the world. There's a a plan in place for God to do this redemptive work. And we to be sure that as we come alongside God or within the power of God to move forward this plan that we're doing it according, to, according to his design and that we have under his inspiration and, and spiritual leadership a plan of our own that sits within his plan to, to be the most effective ministers that we can be within his kingdom. Mission requires strategy and God has one. Jesus, he started with the people and he moved outward from there. He started in a region and then he multiplied the mission from there. There's intentionality here, there's strategy here that that we need to learn from. We need to be intentional. We need to be careful about how we utilize the resources that God has given to us in order to, to take ownership of the piece of the mission that God has entrusted to us in the best way that we can. We need to be good stewards, right? We need to think about the best way to to utilize the resources that we have collectively gathered as a church, our our finances, our our people, the disciples that, that we have been building. We need to think about the best way to utilize and mobilize those things for the work of the gospel because we still are sent, we're still called to reach those who do not know Jesus. And then we need to have a strategic partnership or strategic partnerships by which, in cooperation, we can reach more people than we could reach just on our own or even as a collection of individuals. And that's why, as we saw even earlier in this series, we're so committed to our partnerships in the Southern Baptist Convention and we're so committed to our partnerships in Pillar Church Planting Network and our partnerships. Uh, with missionaries all around the world. We want to multiply and expand our ministry because there's great work to do. And it requires organization to effectively go about achieving this ministry. So that's the first reality, that this ministry is redemptively strategic. There's, there's purpose in the plan. There's a plan that we need to follow in order to honor God. It's not our plan, it's his plan. And we want to be about his plan and go about his plan in the way that he designs. Because it's a far greater plan than any plan we could come up with on our own. But the second reality that Jesus makes us aware of as he sends out these apostles is that this ministry is purposefully challenging. So there's a plan, but there's also, again, Purpose Not only in the redemptive work, but in, in the preparation of those who are sent in the plan. The plan of God can only be accomplished within the power and the provision of God. The way that we're even sent is designed to remind us as disciples that we cannot do this on our own. We can't be saved on our own. We can't be, be brought into the kingdom on our own. There's, there's no amount of good work that we can do to earn passage. It has to be the work of Christ. And in the same way, as he sends us out to be about this work, to, to continue the ministry that he began in his earthly ministry, we have to remember that apart from the, the work of God within us and through us, this ministry will not continue. The whole thing is God's. The whole thing is for his glory and his, his workers, his disciples, his apostles. They have to minister in such a way that they display complete reliance upon him. Look again at our text. The second part of verse eight through verse 11. After telling them what they will do, he says, you receive without pain, so now give without pay. As you go, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey. Don't take a bag. Don't take two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer does deserve his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. This is a little odd, isn't it? The way that Jesus is sending them out. He, he tells his apostles to go out without any earthly provisions. He says, Don't go with money in your pocket, and don't go with the expectation that you're going to be paid. And don't take money. As you pack, don't pack. (laughs) Don't take extra clothes or sandals or a staff. Basically, whatever you got on your person, you take that and you go. And you trust that as you go, God will provide. Go into these villages. Go into these towns. Find someone who's Open to the truth of the gospel. See the Spirit of God at work even before you. Find someone who will invite you into their home and provide for you while you minister there. And recognize, every time someone does, it is the work of God. Now, why would Jesus teach this? Why would he he go to this extreme as he's prepping these disciples to are these apostles, to, to multiply the ministry. Because dependence upon God is the most important quality of a disciple. Again, we're fully dependent upon him for salvation. But we're also fully dependent upon him for the work of the gospel. It's, it's his work after all. His glory. He must do the work. Listen, we need God's provision. And we need to trust in God's provision. Because if we relied on the provision of man as we went out and as we gave the message of the kingdom, then there's a chance that we would change the message in order to tickle more ears and line our own pockets. The the message of the gospel is offensive. To tell someone they're a sinner and broken and in need of a savior, lost and going to hell. I don't see a lot of people throwing money at that apart from the work of the gospel. And so it would be tempting for us if we're dependent upon their charity, dependent upon their giving to take care of our own needs, to change or alter the gospel in some way so it's easier to receive. So we need to trust that if we're going to be faithful to declare the message in the way that God has delivered it, if we're we're going to be faithful in the plan that God's going to provide, and even when it's offensive, And even when it's not well-received, he's still going to provide. And we need his power because we can make this work about us. And friends, that won't save anyone. Apart from the power of God, we won't ever make a dent in the lostness of Irving. We won't ever make a dent in the lostness of this world. Christ alone, the power of the Spirit, transforms lives, transforms hearts. Now, God is called us and and in his graciousness uses us in this kingdom work. But unless he puts his power in it, it is useless. From the beginning, Jesus wants his disciples to recognize their need for God and God's faithfulness to, to meet those needs for his servants. Jesus is asking his apostles, do you trust me? Do you trust my father? He's asking us today as his disciples, through his word. Do we trust God like this? Do we depend upon him as a church? Do we ask for his provision and power to do more than we could ever do on our own? I'm convicted by this. I think a lot of times, we only do the, the kind of ministry that we can do in our own strength. But friends, we're limiting the reach of this ministry that God has entrusted to us when we do that. No, we need to be a people of prayer, begging the Lord to provide for our needs and give us supernatural power to do things that are beyond our comprehension, things we wouldn't believe even if we were told. Because we want this supernatural kingdom to move forward. Finally, reality number three. Not only is there a plan showing us that God's ministry is redemptively strategic, not only is it purposefully challenging to prepare us to be fully dependent upon God, it is unfortunately resisted. Unfortunately resisted. The apostles needed to learn to rest in God's provision because this work is difficult. It's difficult. The moving forward of this divine kingdom is resisted because there's an earthly kingdom who doesn't want to give up territory. And it's costly. It's going to cost Jesus his life, even though he'll be raised on the third day. It's going to cost many of these apostles and many of these disciples their own lives and certainly their own comfort. And it is too hard to do in our own strength. We're building a kingdom. And we need to go about it in a way that is honoring to the king, even when it's hard. Listen, we need God's power and his provision to do the plan. Because without his power and provision, the plan won't go forth. But we also need his power and provision to stand committed when the world is coming against us. Jesus tells us, listen, in verse 16. As sheep, we got to be aware, there are wolves coming. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus said, to devour us. There are people who will not only reject the message of Jesus, but will actively work in opposition to it. This is part of the deal. From the beginning, I want you to know this is part of the deal. I'm sure in some ways he's preparing his apostles to understand what will happen to him later, but also to be ready for what will happen to them and to remain faithful in spite of that resistance. So listen, Apostle, I'm going to send you out and there's going to be provision in most places. There are going to be people who open their homes to you. There are going to be people who receive you. And when they do that, you should bless them. It's a blessing to have godly people in your home. It's, it's certainly going to be a blessing to have an apostle of Jesus Christ with his authority in that home. So when they receive you and they're receptive to the gospel with the authority that I've given to you, you pour out your blessing upon them. But when someone rejects you and the message of the gospel, apostles, you got to learn to shake off the dust from your feet and move forward. Now, I think it's important for us to take a little moment here and try to understand what Jesus means when he says, shake off the dust of your feet. The practice of shaking off the dust of one's feet was commonly understood in this time. And, and here's what it typically symbolized. When a Jew, a Jewish person, came from a place that was considered to be unclean, a, a Gentile region or a Samaritan region like we discussed earlier, he would try to remove any hint of uncleanness from his body as he stepped back into the land of the promise land of promise so sometimes they take off their garment and they shake off the dust from their garment and then other times they would just take their feet and, and their sandals and shake off the dust from that land that land of uncleanness not the land of promise that they had been walking through it was a a physical statement they were leaving a place of curse and moving into a place Now, listen, this would be a stunning thing to do to another Jewish person or to signify about another Jewish town. To shake the dust off within the land of promise was unheard of. But it's another reminder to us that not all Israel is Israel. And that unfortunately, the vast majority of God's people here will remain hard-hearted and reject their Messiah. And eventually, advocate for his death. And Jesus says, when these people do reject you, and they do curse you and send you out of their home or their town, you just need to remind them of what's ahead if they don't repent. They are unclean, and judgment awaits them. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment For the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. There's a a worse judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah that awaits them. I remember that story was pretty awe-inspiring. As God rained fire and brimstone and destroyed those wicked cities. And not only because of their lack of hospitality, which is part of it, and that we're seeing here in Matthew chapter 10, but ultimately because of their sin. Their rejection of God. Their hardness of heart. The work of the kingdom will be resisted, he says. So as you go and you experience the, the various responses to my gospel, some receiving it, some rejecting it, some opposing you, you've got to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. You need to be both prudent and innocent, wise but not corrupt, blameless and careful. Listen, apostles, you can't be so naive to think that you won't be resisted. But you can't be so jaded because of resistance that you give up the work, that you don't give people a chance to respond. Eternity is on the line. Resistance is part of the deal. But it's worth it. It's worth it to be persecuted. It's worth it to be rejected and sent out of homes and sent out of towns if it gives someone the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, even if you experience a few defeats here, I'm going to secure the victory, the ultimate victory, where your true hope is placed. So, there's a plan. This work is strategic, redemptively so. We've been seeing it unfold throughout the scripture. It's purposefully challenging to bring us as disciples, people that God wants to extend the ministry uh, through to a place of dependence upon him and his power, his provision. And it's unfortunately resisted. And it will be until Christ comes again and establishes his rule and reign forever. Now, what does this mean for our ministry today? How does this beginning of ministry that we see happening in Matthew chapter 10, how does what Jesus instructs in Matthew 10, how does that apply to us today? How do we see, receive those instructions today? Well, let me just offer uh, a few responses for us as we consider these realities about the ministry that God has given to us. Firstly, we should be strategic for the glory Of God. We should recognize the ultimate plan that we're to go to the ends of the earth proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and the power and the provision of God. We're to go out and we're to to show how the gospel is overcoming every single effect of sin on this planet, every piece of brokenness. Jesus Christ is bringing peace to the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the plan for us to be raised up and sent out so that the world will know of the hope that they have in Jesus. And we need to be strategic in that plan. We've got to recognize what's ours to own. The best way to own that piece of the the ministry that God has entrusted to us, and then where it's good to partner with others to increase the effectiveness of our ministry. We need to be good, be good stewards. We need to be generous to the ministry so that we can be generous in our work of ministry. We need to be good partners in our convention and, and in our networks to amplify the ministry that God has called us to. And above all, we need to be disciple makers. It's hard to to send out people when we haven't first built up people in the local church. That's why we're so committed at First Irving to be disciple makers. We want to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God because the more disciples we have, the more people we build up in the gospel, the more people that can represent Jesus in Irving, in Dallas-Fort Worth, in Texas, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Let's be strategic in building up disciples. Let's be strategic in being a generous people to be good stewards. And let's be strategic in our partnerships to help advance the kingdom forward until Christ returns. Secondly, let's not only be strategic, let's be more dependent. We should seek greater dependence upon God. I think all of us are aware that we have to be dependent upon God for salvation. And let me just say to those watching this morning, if you've you've never given your life to Jesus, you can't do that in your own strength. You can't find salvation from your sin and the brokenness of this world in your own strength. I don't don't care how, how good you are or how hard you work until you come to the point of brokenness before Jesus Christ and ask him alone to save you. You're lost. But isn't it incredible, and so many of us who are watching today can resonate with this truth, that when we reach out to God, when we cry out to him for help, when we desire to rest in the finished work of Christ, there is grace upon grace waiting for us. He he longs to help those who cry out to him. And we've done that who are in Christ. And, and maybe you need to do that this morning. And I want to promise you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's grace for you today and you will be saved. And those of us in Christ, we know that. that Salvation is dependent upon God. But the work, the work that we're called to do on the other side of salvation, we have to be dependent upon God for that As well. We're not just called to to be saved and then sit and soak. We're called to be sent. And we're called to be sent in a way that's dependent upon God's provision and power to accomplish the plan that He has given to us. So here's the question, church, that we need to wrestle with, that as a pastor and elders, we got to wrestle with, and as a people, we got to wrestle with. Are we doing the kind of ministry at First Baptist Church of Irving? that's so committed to the plan of God that it requires the power and provision of God? Or Are we really comfortable doing ministry in our own strength? Just what we can do in our own talents and abilities? Or is there something supernatural happening here? Oh, I pray that we would grow in this. I pray that we would be stretched in this. We've already seen through COVID and through a, a day like today the limits of our own ability We need God to do more than we can do. Otherwise, we're working in vain. Thirdly, and this is kind of a a different kind of application, but something I think we should really focus on in light of the text. We should have homes open to the gospel. It's interesting how Jesus instructs his apostles to interact with those homes who open themselves to the work of the gospel. He says, there'll be a blessing for you. There'll be a blessing for these homes. There's, there's peace, unique peace for these homes that open themselves to the work of the gospel and then are utilized for the advancement of the gospel. And so as we're sitting in our homes today and we're experiencing home-based worship or our family worship, have we made our homes a place of gospel multiplication? Do we welcome the word of God in our homes? Do we constantly bring the gospel before our ourselves in quiet times, in scripture on the walls, before our families or our roommates and our friends? Is the gospel present and active way in our homes? And are we willing to open up our homes so that ministers of the gospel can use them as Frontline bases of ministry in the neighborhoods that we've been called to reach? Are you willing to have a Bible study in your home and welcome people into your home? Are you willing to engage in hospitality, inviting your neighbors over so that they can hear the, the gospel proclaimed? Or are you resistant to those things? Because if you're open to those things, which we should be as followers of Christ, there's tremendous blessing to be poured out on our homes. But listen, if we reject the gospel in our homes and we reject the the ministry of the word in our homes, something different than blessing awaits us. And it signifies a misunderstanding of what we're called to as followers of Christ. So let's make sure that our homes are our frontline places for works of ministry. And then finally, we've got to be prepared for resistance. Let's be wise. Let's be faithful. Let's be aware that resistance will come. Let's be aware that rejection will happen. But let's not get so jaded, so bitter because of that rejection that we quit. Eternity's at stake. And people need to know The hope of the gospel. The work that he is unfolding and extending through us as the church. People need to see the beauty of Christ and God's faithfulness to us. His promises to us. The grace that awaits for those who call out in faith. Is it worth it? Yes. Now, Jared, let me ask a question that comes up in my mind as I read this text. Is this text teaching us that there's a point at which we should give up on sharing the gospel with someone? If they don't receive your words or listen to your words, verse 14, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that town. Do we just give up? Well, let me just say there's no easy answer here. But it does become clear usually when someone has hardened their heart toward gospel conversations and are no longer interested in engaging. And it may be the best strategy to move on to someone else, to engage with them in gospel conversation. That doesn't mean you quit praying for them. We don't give up on them in that way. We're praying for God to to rescue them and break their hearts. But it may be that gospel conversations in terms of the words of humans to humans are no longer effective, or useful in that person's life. we got to trust the Lord to build on what we've already done, to use what we've already said and do something supernatural in his or her heart. It's a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing. It's a saddening and heartbreaking thing. But oh, the joy that comes when someone is open and is receptive and gives their life to Jesus. And all of those rejections are worth even the, the one moment of experience where we see someone radically saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we need to remember this morning, church family. Our main point again. We need God's power and provision to push forward his redemptive plan. There's a plan that God's been unfolding as a strategic redemptive plan that God has been unfolding throughout the history of our world. And he's called us to be a part of it. Through Christ, through the apostles, he's extended the reach of that ministry. And now we get to serve him in multiplying the reach of that ministry. But in order to do it, we got to do it in his design, his power, his provision. Because We won't make a dent in the losses of this world without it. And we won't be able to withstand the resistance that comes our way. But for the power and provision of God. Let's learn these lessons today. And let's be about this kingdom work. Because eternity is on the line.